Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message by Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. Well, this morning we're going to look at um, the book of Jonah. And I sent out a message on Facebook earlier that it was going to be from a different perspective than maybe we're used to, to seeing when we come to this book. And as you may or may not know, the Bible is made up of 66 different books. Um, there's 39 books in the Old Testament, and there's 27 books in the New Testament. But while there's 66 unique books, there's only one story that all these books come together to tell. The true story of a loving God who created us for a relationship with Him. And even after we broke that relationship, uh, when we chose to sin and chose our desires and our will over His, then it goes into the story of his love and grace and mercy for us and his plan to restore that relationship with us. And the book of Jonah is, is among the 39 books in the Old Testament. Uh, if you have your Bible with you this morning, you can go ahead and turn there. Um, if you don't know where it is, it's almost at the end of the Old Testament. It's kind of hard to find. In my Bible, it's literally one page. So it's one of the shorter books of the Bible. But if you go to Matthew and turn left and go a few books, you'll find it between Obadiah and Micah. And we'll get there in a minute, so I'll, I'll give you a little bit of time to track it down. Um, the book of Jonah is one of 14 books in the Old Testament that starts with the word and. Um, that's the literal transla- translation of the word. Most Bibles translate it as now. The, the version I'll have on the screen in a little bit actually says now is the first word, but it, it really is the word and. Um, there are some translations that, that literally translate it as and, um, but I think most go with the word now for our you know, English-speaking minds to, to comprehend it a little bit better. But there's actually 14 books of the Old Testament that start with that word and, and it's interesting because it's like it is that one long story just continued. Like God is just continuing that story of his love, of his mercy, of his grace, of everything that he's doing to to build a relationship with you. And it's like he finished the last story and then just says, and this, and this. And we can read our Bible that way to go from book to book to know that this is the continuation of the same story of God's love for us. So what's the book of Jonah about Well, it's not just about a big fish, but that's what most kids uh, growing up kind of that's that's what captivates their minds and captivates their imaginations. And it's something that that we've always focused on. But the big fish is only actually mentioned four times. And it's not just about a great city. The great city of Nineveh is mentioned nine times in the book. And it's not even just about the disobedient prophet Jonah, who's mentioned 18 times. It's about God. And God is mentioned 38 times in these four short chapters. When told to kids, a lot of the emphasis is put on the fish or on Jonah. But the truth is, the book of Jonah is about the will of God and how we respond to it. And it's also about the love of God and how we share it with others. The last uh, six weeks in the series, we've talked a lot about the lordship of Jesus Christ and how we can hear his word and respond to it. And that's really one of the central themes of Jonah. He hears God's word and then we see how he responds to it and what he does to it with it. And we have to understand what are we going to do when we hear God's 
word. When we hear his voice, how are we going to respond? But I also think something that stands out is that when we read stories in the Bible like Jonah, we look at it from different perspectives. And I think, I don't know about you, I don't know if it's a Western mindset or if it's just my mindset, but I know when I come to any story in the Bible, or even if I'm reading a secular book or story, we tend to find a character within the book that we identify with. You know, and that's where we put ourselves in that story. And and again, I don't know if it's just the Western mindset or just my ego, but for whatever reason, I usually end up being the main character. <laughs> You know, it's like Jonah. We always tend to go to Jonah. You know, it's like, well, Jonah seems like the central figure. So we put ourselves in Jonah's shoes. Or if we were to to put ourselves somewhere in the Exodus, we're all going to be Moses, right? You know, if if God had made me uh, in that era, I would have been Moses. You know, that's the perspective. I'm going to read all the stories from. Most likely we would have been, you know, one of the millions of people who are just living day-to-day life and who are living in slavery and God was going to deliver us because He loved us and because He cared for us. And we would have been one of those people in that caravan being led out, not just by Moses, but by God. And so I want to challenge you this morning, not only as we look at this story, but as you read and study your Bible and study the other stories and, uh, of God's love for us, of his mercy for us, to look at those stories from a different perspective than maybe you've looked at it before. Maybe take yourself out of the main character's shoes and put yourself in someone else's shoes. You know, maybe, maybe we're not one of the 12 disciples, you know. Maybe we're not Peter. Maybe we're not Paul. Maybe we're just one of the people that Jesus healed. Or maybe we might find ourselves in the shoes of a Pharisee who's blinded by the truth and just can't see. And only by a great act of mercy and kindness from God could our eyes be opened to see and receive the truth. We often, you know, don't want to put ourselves in those people's shoes, but maybe that's where we would find ourselves most likely being. Not one of the twelve or, you know, one of, one of the key characters in the story. So as we look this morning at Jonah, let's take a look at the other perspectives involved. If you, if you've had a chance to find it, great. If not, it's going to be up on the screen. Jonah chapter one, verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break it up. In these first four verses, there's already five different perspectives we can look at this story from. And often we, again, you know, we read over something and we don't really stop to think about it. We don't stop to pray about it. We don't stop to ask God what he's doing. We just say, well, I'm supposed to read my Bible every day, so I'm going to read a chapter of Jonah. You know, you get through and you think, well, I guess if I was Jonah, I'd have run away. (laughs) And then you go on. But if we if we take a moment to look and think and pray about it, we can see that there's a lot more going on here. So let's look at the different perspectives. First of all, there's God's perspective. There's the people of Nineveh who are just mentioned as 
the, the sinners in this great city. There's Jonah, the sailors that we just infer are on the ship because he got on a ship. And then there's the wind, sea, and storm. And you may wonder how they would have a perspective, but I'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. But I want to start with God's perspective first. And the fact that the first words that we see is God's telling Jonah to arise and go preach to that city of Nineveh. But for God to say that, he had to already be thinking about them. He had to, he had to care for them. He knew they were there. He knew uh, that they didn't seek him. He knew the sins that they were committing. He knew about them. And this was not his covenant people. This wasn't uh, the descendants of Abraham who he made a covenant with and said, you know, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless the whole world through you. This is a pagan nation who doesn't know God and who doesn't serve God. And he could have just judged them without giving them any warning, without giving them a word. But God, out of his grace, out of his mercy, saw them and said, I'm not going to judge them without warning them first. So he comes to Jonah and he he tells Jonah, go to them and preach my word. So we see God's heart, God's perspective in the story. The second perspective that we see is the people of Nineveh. They don't know God. All, they have no relationship with him. They're just sinning. All we know is they're a great city and they're not following God. And then we come to Jonah's perspective. All we know is he's a prophet and he can hear the voice of God. And then we see that he immediately runs the opposite direction. We don't get an answer why at this point. We actually won't find out till chapter 4, and we'll get there in a minute. But we do know that Jonah clearly heard the word of God and that he completely goes the opposite direction. We've been talking about following the Lord and living like he's the Lord of our life and how important it is to hear his word and respond. Well, here we see that hearing alone isn't enough. Jonah heard the word of God. We can hear the voice of God. We can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, but we have to respond to it. And there's always two ways to respond. You remember a few weeks ago we talked about uh, Peter when Jesus told him to eat of the unclean animals. And he said, no, Lord. And we can't say no and him be the Lord. It has to be a decision. Our response is always one of two things. There's never a third option. Jonah could either do what God was calling him to do or he could run away and do what he wanted to do. And he chose to do what he wanted to do. And when he calls us, when he gives us a word, there's only two options to listen and follow in obedience or to not do it and do what we want to do instead. And so we see Jonah's perspective that he heard, but he ran away. The sailors perspective, they're introduced uh, by the fact that he jumped on a ship. And we'll, we'll get a little bit more information on them in a moment. And then there's the wind and the sea and the storm. And the reason that I include them along with later on, we'll look at the fish and the plant and the worm, is that here's these either weather objects or, or animals or plants that God speaks to. And they hear his word and immediately respond. So even even a worm does a better job of hearing and responding to the voice of God than Jonah did in this situation. They don't have a choice. The New Testament says even they say, who is this man about Jesus? Even the wind and the sea obey him. 
Everything obeys God in an instant, except for us. He gives us a choice. Every time He speaks to us, we have a choice to listen and to obey or to once again choose our own will in our own way. We're, we're not going to look at all the details of the next set of Scripture. We'll skip it, but I do want to give you a little bit of what happens here in between. So Jesus, or God, sent, sent this storm, and it says the storm came up. Well, the, the sailors on the boat freak out. Jonah may not be caring whether he lives or dies, but they don't want to die today. And so they start throwing things overboard. They're crying out to their gods, and they realize that there's this guy down in the bottom of the boat sleeping. And they wake Jonah up, and they tell him, cry out to your God. Maybe he'll hear you and save us and have mercy on us. Jonah doesn't. He doesn't uh, turn to God. He, he, he does, when they cast lots, he takes the blame and is like, yeah, this is my fault. Just throw me overboard. And so it's interesting that even in this place, Jonah doesn't know God's going to send a great fish. He literally thinks he's going to die. And he would rather die at this point than do what God called him to do. He doesn't fall on his knees. He doesn't repent. Here, here are these pagan sailors who don't know of Jonah's God are crying out to anyone, to any God that would listen. And Jonah, who knows the one true God, won't seek him in prayer. And so he tells them to throw him overboard. But even these pagan sailors, they're like, no, we're not going to kill you. Uh, and they, they try to row harder. They try to throw more stuff over. But finally they are like, this is no, you know, this isn't going to work. We're going to all die or we throw this guy over. And even they repent. And pray to Jonah's God and say, have mercy on us that we're throwing this man overboard and forgive us of this sin because we don't know what else to do. And they throw him overboard and instantly the, the waves and the storm stop again as a response to God's voice. And we pick up in the next section in verse 17 and it says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Jonah repents in the next nine verses. Uh, and then in chapter 2, verse 10, it says, The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. And there's three perspectives here. First, even though Jonah is being disobedient and defying God's word, God is showing him mercy. Again, we see God's mercy. Again, we see his grace. And Jonah deserved to die after he was thrown overboard. But God, in his great mercy, appointed a fish who, guess what? Listened and obeyed. Did what God told him to do and, and ate this man. So he swallows him up. And notice that it says Jonah was in the fish for three days and nights. And then he prays. It took him that long to get her. He was just sitting there miserable, still probably waiting just to die. And at some point thought, well, I might as well pray. I might as well go back to God because this is pretty miserable. So he prays and he repents. And then in, in chapter 3, after he repents, verse 1, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. So God had grace and he had mercy and he speaks to Jonah again after he repented. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it 
the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city and going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. That was the whole message. Forty days and the the city of Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And it says the people believed God and repented. You think of stories, other stories of, of God's love, of his mercy to the people of Israel. It's chapter upon chapter of God crying out, saying, look at how much I love you. Look at what I've done for you. Yet you keep running away and you keep running away and I keep coming after you. Just repent. Come back to me. And many times we see that the children of Israel still would reject him over and over and over again. And here he comes to a pagan nation and basically gives them a sentence of God's going to judge you. And that's enough to change their hearts. And look, look at how much they change. It says they called for a fast and put on sackcloth. From the greatest of them to the least of them, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Verse 7, And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. So I find it pretty amazing that not only did they repent, not only did they cry out to God, but the king even says, even the animals are going to fast with us. Don't feed your animals. Don't give them water. Put sackcloth and ashes on them. That I can think of, I am not aware of a single time in all of Israel's history that they took their repentance that far. There's plenty of times that we read they tore their clothes, got in ashes and repented. But I cannot think of a single instance where they said, even our animals are going to repent. We're, we're not even going to feed them. They're going to fast with us. Again, just because he said in 40 days, judgment's going to come to your city. That was the only message, the only word. And that was enough to make them turn toward God and to repent. But Jonah was only concerned about himself and his own life. We see uh, in Jonah chapter 4 verse 1. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Most preachers, you would think, would be, or prophets would be happy when people listen to him. Plenty of prophets that God called to prophesy, their reward was being killed for their message. Jonah has uh, the great result of over 120,000 people immediately turning and repenting, and he's exceedingly angry. With the result. And he says, he prays to the Lord and says, Oh Lord, 
Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. He's saying, God, this is the reason I ran away in the first place. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? So Jonah is saying, I know you're loving. I know you're gracious. I know that you're to forgive. And I knew you were going to forgive them. And I wanted to see them judged. And now I'd rather die that they've turned to you. What, what kind of response is like? What kind of prophet of God is this? You know, his heart, his heart was so far from God's heart. He didn't see God's perspective at all. He knew what he wanted, the results he wanted. And when God spoke to him, you know, the interesting thing is when God told him to go to Nineveh, he didn't even tell him to repent. Like, that wasn't part of the word. It was just, go tell them I'm going to judge them. There was, he didn't say, if they repent, I'm going to relent. None of that. But Jonah, in his own heart, knew, I know how loving you are. I know how gracious you are. I know if I do this, you're going to forgive them. And that's not the result I want. He hated those people so much. He couldn't stand them. He didn't like that nation. And he wanted them judged. And when I was reading this and looking from a different perspective, it made me think, who's God sending us to? Who's he telling you to witness to, to talk to, that you don't like? I don't, I don't even want them to get saved. I would rather see them get judged. And I, I think a few weeks ago I mentioned it in one of the messages. It's not, I don't think it was in my heart that I, you know, that it's desiring they would be judged. But it was like, it's like they're beyond God's reach. You know, that we look at, you know, with how divided our country is now. And it seems like everyone is on too far extremes. And I would think, okay, there's some people that they just, can't hear God. They're too far gone. They're not going to hear His voice. They're not going to turn to Him. It's just not possible. And then God shows you a perspective of here's a nation who they didn't fear God. They didn't know God. They had nothing to do with them. But God says, give them one word. Like my people never have. But what's in our heart? What's our perspective? Are we looking at them saying, you know what? I'd rather see them get judged than come to God. They deserve it. They're going to get what they deserve. But that's not God's heart. That's not God's perspective. And he's, he's calling to us and he's putting things in our heart. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And we either have to respond and hear his word and do what he's calling us to do, or we're going to say, no, I'd rather do it my way. Jonah's not a good example. Like Jonah, a lot of people in the Bible, you may say, oh, you know, like if I had a heart like David, 
There's a good example. He made mistakes, but he was always quick to repent. He was always quick to go back to God. Jonah's not the guy you want to pattern your life after. Everything that God was doing, his heart was the other way. He wanted to do the opposite thing. He wanted to do his own thing. Verse 8 of chapter 4, it says, It's better for me to die. In the meantime, I'm sorry. In the meantime, God sent him a plant. A little big leaf that kind of covered him and shaded him. And then it says Jonah was exceedingly happy. So this little leaf that gave him some shade made him really happy. And then the next day or night, God sends the worm and it eats it. And then he's back to exceedingly angry again. And that's where we pick up the story. And again, he's just ready to die again. He just wants to die. It's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry? He asked him the same question again, except now he's saying, but now you're angry about a plant. Jonah, this this shade tree, you're angry about a plant. And Jonah says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. I don't have my shade anymore, God, just kill me. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did make did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night? And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? God's saying there's 120,000 people. They don't know what's right. They don't know their right hand from their left. They don't know me. They haven't heard about me. And you want me to pity a plant more than I pity these 120,000. And one almost, uh, it's kind of funny that he even throws on the cattle. They've got a lot of cattle too um, and livestock. And I've always thought, well, what's, why does God throw them in? But then just again, like I said earlier, this was the first time I ever really noticed that the king said, even the livestock are going to repent. We're going to put them in sackcloth and ashes. So God includes them. He's like, even though the animals sought me more than you did, you haven't fasted, you haven't prayed, you're not seeking my heart. And so, but again, even in this, God has mercy on Jonah. He's coming back. He's having the conversation. Jonah's, you know, telling him, kill me, kill me, kill me. And God's like, no, I'm not going to kill you. I've got mercy and grace for you too. And I'm still going to talk to you. I'm still going to show you that I love you. But Jonah was more upset about his plant than he was for the 120,000. I just want to ask you a couple questions. Here's a simple test for us to check our own character. We can ask ourselves these questions. What makes me happy? Jonah wasn't made happy by 120,000 people, an entire city turning to God, but he was happy when he got a shade tree. What makes me angry? Jonah wouldn't have been angry if God had sent fire and burned up the whole city. He would have actually been, yes, that's, that's what was supposed to happen. But he got angry when his shade tree died. What makes me want to give up? What happens in our lives that just we want to throw the towel in? This is too hard. God's asking me too much of me. For Jonah, it was go to this people that you don't want saved. 
And Jonah's like, I'd rather die. I'd rather die than see you show them mercy. I'd rather die than see you give them love and forgiveness. So we can ask ourselves those questions and see where's our heart? Is our heart, is our perspective God's heart and God's perspective? Or is it just I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it? Or do I want to see God's work, God at work? Jonah totally missed God's heart and his compassion. And he just couldn't see things from God's perspective. Uh, Jeremiah and Jesus both looked on the city of Jerusalem and wept over it. They had a heart for Jerusalem. They had a heart for the people that were lost. The Bible says in the New Testament that Paul beheld the city of Athens and was greatly distressed. Their heart was for the lost. Their heart was for people who weren't seeking God. But Jonah looked on the city of Nineveh and literally seethed with anger, with hatred, just wanting judgment. And God said, Jonah, look at it from my perspective. You've got more pity for a plant than you do for these 120,000 people who don't even know. They don't even know the truth. It's not that they've been given it and rejected it. They don't even know. And he was asking him to go tell them. And he was refusing. How many people are there out there that would turn in an instant if we just did what God was calling us to do? If we just spoke the word he was calling us to speak, if we just did his word and were obedient to his call. Jesus used Nineveh to show the Jews how guilty they were. And this is the last scripture we'll read before we close. It's Matthew 12, verse 38. And he said, it says some some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus by saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For the just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this, with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus, and the only sign was that he was in a fish and got thrown up on the shore. We don't even know that they were aware of that part of the story. But he said that simple word, in 40 days, God's going to bring judgment and overthrow this city. And that's all it took. And Jesus is saying, you have the Son of God in front of you. We have these 66 books of the Bible that tell us everything we need to know about God's love, about His mercy, about His grace, and that all we need to do is respond to that. To let Him be Lord of our life. To lead us, to guide us in every way. And Jesus says, the only sign you're going to get is that I'm going to die and be in the earth for three days and I'm going to come back. That's your sign. That's the only sign that you're going to get. And we have that sign. We have all that we need. Everything that we need, He's given it to us. We have the whole story of His love, of His mercy, of His grace. 
And the book of Jonah ends with a question from God. He tells Jonah, Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? And we don't get to see or hear Jonah's response. That's the end of the book, is that question. But how Jonah responds to God's question isn't the important thing to us this morning. The question is, how do we respond? How do we respond to his question? Do we agree with God that people without Christ are lost? Like God, do we have compassion for those who are lost? Or do we decide who deserves to hear the word and who doesn't? How do we show compassion? Do we pray that the gospel will go to people in every part of the world? And are we helping to send it there? Do we rejoice when sinners repent and trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Or do we get angry that a person that we don't think should come to Christ came to Christ? Are we like the Ninevites, ready and willing to repent and turn from our sin? You know, that's another very important thing to note. The grace and mercy of God, He had it. He had enough mercy and grace to send them the word. But it wasn't just, oh, I'm just going to forgive you no matter what. You're clean and clear just because I love you so much. No, because I love you so much, I'm going to send a prophet to you to tell you the truth. And they responded and they repented and they changed. They left their gods. They left their violence. They left their sin and turned to God. So God relented and forgave them. So it's not about us preaching that, no, God just loves everybody. Everybody's going to be saved. Everybody gets his grace and mercy. Well, yes, everybody can, but only if we respond. And there's always only two responses. He's either Lord or he's not. How are we going to respond? Are we ready to obey and respond to God's word? Or will we be like Jonah and refuse and go the opposite direction? Will you bow your heads with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for your love and grace and mercy. Father, I thank you that even with Jonah, and Lord, we don't know his end result, Lord. I pray he did turn to you and his heart did change and he got your perspective, Lord. But we know you loved him. We know you cared for him and we know that you loved and cared for the Ninevites. And your 66 books of the Bible tell us you love and care for us. But we have to choose to respond, Father. And I just pray this morning that we would respond to you. Lord, that we would acknowledge your lordship in our life. That we would hear your voice and respond. Whoever you send us to. That we would be willing to, to respond and preach and speak your word. Lord, and that we would leave everything else into your hands. Turn our hearts to you, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would have hearts as sensitive as the Ninevites, that a simple word, as simple as judgment is coming, would be enough to turn our hearts back to you. In your name we pray.
Amen.